Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience. It's me, Blair Kaplan Venables, and I'm here today to chat about parenthood with Rosie Harris. Rosie is amazing. She's a goldsmith with a background in engineering, and she's based out of Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Um, She fuses traditional jewelry making skills with her technical CAD skills. She developed working as an engineering technologist. She brings over 15 years of experience. Plus, um, she's loves like mountain biking, mountain sports, the whole like West Coast culture, which is really something that shows up in her design. She's won awards. She's been featured in the media. I get to wear some of her jewelry, which is such an honor. Her designs have been seen on Olympians and actresses. And you can buy her stuff online. But today we're not here to talk about jewelry. Actually, maybe we are. You know what? Now that I think of it, we we sort of are. But we're here to really talk about something that goes beyond jewelry. It goes kind of deeper. It goes to a place where a lot of you listeners can probably relate. And we're going to talk today about parenthood. Um, and there's so many different ways this conversation can go. And Rosie and I were just chatting about it offline. Um, so I'm excited to bring her into this conversation. So welcome to the show, Rosie. Hi, Blair. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, both an honor and pleasure to be here. I am Thank so, you. yeah, I'm so honored. Like I've gotten to know you over the past probably year and a half or year. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And I just, you know, as I, as I get to know you, it's like peeling back the layers of the onion and I'm just, I'm so grateful to have you as a guest. And so we can talk about parenthood. And originally when we were going to talk, you know, I don't know if, if the conversation conversations changed much, but like, I don't have kids. I have cats and a husband. And so I can't, um, I can't relate to the challenges of parenthood, but why don't we dive into your story? Um, yeah, so likewise, um, also getting to know you over the year. And I think when I first heard of your resilience project, um, I know you had talked a lot about overcoming loss and you were quite forthcoming with that. And that is something I could also relate to and have also been through, um, and then I guess it was kind of well, I was, I think it was before I started working with you again recently. Um, you know, this uh, late spring, early summer, my entire family got sick, um, like really, really sick. Uh, pretty sure we all had COVID sick. And it was kind of that resilience note that you had said really struck out on me because, you know, I know some people define resilience is the ability to bounce back after difficulty. Um, But to me, being a parent means you just keep going through every difficulty. Um, And it's both a difficulty and a pleasure at the same time. And, you know, I didn't really 
kind of understand that or realize that until I got here. So yeah, that was really what made me think of it as, you know, running a business that you have to keep doing when you're self-employed. I'm sure you know all about that. Um, you know, you don't really get days off. You do when you don't. <laughs> um, and then being a parent, you never get a day off unless I guess some people have grandparents that live nearby and do, but I do not. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's that's good. And there's lots to unpack there. So first of all, thank you for sharing. And I'm sorry that you guys were all sick at once. Like that sounds like a nightmare because also like running a business while being sick is a challenge on its own or having children and being sick is a challenge on its own and doing it all together. Um, you know, it requires just, you know, putting your head down and getting through it and doing what you need to do to survive. I actually call it thrive, <laughs> thrival, survival and thrive. So, like you know, yeah. Um, but you know, what you said before is going through loss, you know, pregnancy loss. That's something I, I can definitely relate to, you know, Shane and I were trying to get pregnant for years and I was told I probably needed support through IVF or, um, you know, medical intervention. And I didn't have a chance to go down that route of investigation because I actually ended up getting pregnant naturally, which I thought was not going to happen. I was told it wasn't going to happen and it did. And then, so I, you know, going through that miscarriage felt like, like a literal, like punch to, to the gut, to the ego, to the hope, to the heart. Um, but I didn't have a full chance to grieve it because only three weeks later, my father-in-law died. And then three months after that, my mom died. So like, it's really interesting because now that I'm kind of coming out of this, like compound grief, I'm able to start like unpacking feelings around the different things and kind of identifying what, what's going on there. But I'd love to talk about, well, not that I'd love to talk about it. Like, that's not the right word. But can we talk a bit more about your pregnancy loss? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I no, I, I, I understand what you mean about love to talk about it. And yeah, but I also think it's important to talk about it. Um, so mine was not one loss. It was two. Um, and the first one I did not talk about. It wasn't till I went through the second one um, that I actually talked about the first and that was one of the things I loved about you because I really really hate that stigma of not telling people that you're even pregnant within the first three months because you might lose it um, and that was me so I think I broke down at the bank one day and started crying and somehow told my bank teller who ran around and gave me a hug turns out she had been through a similar situation um, so yeah, I I went through a miscarriage. Um, I feel like I went through it twice because I had ended up going in for emergency surgery four months later <laughs> um, to deal with some of the aftermath of it. Oh my God. Um, so really, to me, it felt like I went through it twice. I was at school one day and I had gotten a phone call and they said, don't need anything or drink anything and please come to the hospital. Um, I had gone through a checkup a week before because I was getting some weird pains and it turns out, um, yeah, I didn't miscarry completely and I had to go back for an emergency surgery. Um, and then right when we were ready to start trying again, I had what's called an ectopic or a tubal pregnancy, um, which I ended up in the emergency as I was very close to rupturing. Um, that one... I also, both times, <laughs> I was working out of town. 
Um, so yeah, it was really hard going through it without my partner by my side as well. Um, so, so yeah, that is my story of my losses and my kids. I have two now that are three and six. They are actually my third and fourth pregnancies. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. And you know what you said about your first pregnancy and like, you know, the stigma of not saying anything for the first three months, like what is with that? I started telling people when I learned I was only pregnant that I knew of. I mean, I, I lost, I'd lost at eight weeks I knew for a few weeks. And those were the best weeks because I got to be a mom. I got to live out my dream. And I was telling people, yeah. like, I got such a mixed reaction of you shouldn't be telling people till three months. You probably, you might miscarry, like miscarriage is very common. You shouldn't tell anyone. I'm like, why I'm pregnant now. Like it's real. Like it's inside me. And then people started plant. Like I didn't even think of a miscarriage as a possibility. And then people like were planting that idea in my head. And then I just spent time worrying about it. And then it happened. So, you know, I think that's great that you are talking about it now and that if you're listening to this, like, it's okay to talk about being pregnant, three weeks pregnant, a month pregnant, two months pregnant, because it's real and it's happening. And then if you do go through loss, like the stats are one in four women have really a miscarriage. Hard. And, and like right now you're listening. As you get... Yeah. Right. So it even gets higher as you get older. And so, you know, you don't have to go through it alone. And, you know, like me, like we were wanting kids. We were trying. We had the miscarriage. I was like, okay, great. We can have kids. But after my mom passed away, we decided, not, I mean, I decided, well, we decided. <laughs> Shane supports me, but I, I don't want to have kids. Like I used all my big feelings up. I We don't have three of the four parents. Shane's health, like he had a heart attack and quadruple bypass surgery. And I was like, ah, I just like feel like I, I just don't want to do it this is not my path in life, but I, I think, cause I'm talking about it and I was talking about being pregnant in the miscarriage. Like that was my only time ever going to be pregnant as of now, like, right. So yeah, I wanted to celebrate it and I wanted people to know, cause it was really exciting. And I've been very public about my fertility journey. So you don't need to keep things a secret because of societal norms. And you know what, when you get pregnant, it's important to know that a miscarriage is possible, but it's also important to know that like, you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. You're listening to me and Rosie who both went through it. And when I had the miscarriage and I shared about it on social media, I got so many messages. I bet. And they're like, you just put how I felt into words, but I never told anyone. You know, not everyone has to be public about it, but know that there is support out there. And if you are going through this or you do in the future, or you know someone, connect them to me. I I love that. So you had two, uh, you had four pregnancies. Yeah. And I so think that's amazing that I'm going to add one more thing on to what you just said there. Cause for me, I didn't actually feel like I really started to heal from the first one um, until I started talking about it. Because for me, that is how I process things. I talk through them. Um, and then I had another friend who I think she said it perfectly once. She goes, look, I'm telling you that I'm pregnant now. I know it's early, but you're also the person I'm going to come to if I do lose it. So you know what? We're here to celebrate each other's wins, but we're also here to help each other through our losses. So why should there be the stigma of keeping quiet about it? Because these are the people closest to you. So of course they're going to be there through the thick and the thin. So yeah, right. to me, we I would love to see that norm broken down. I 
I was kind of shocked that that was the advice I was given from my doctor. <laughs> right. You know, and it's so interesting because like, no, like people sometimes talk about like how hard it is to get pregnant, which isn't even talked about enough. Cause I thought, oh. okay, you have sex, you get pregnant. And I tried for years, but also no one talks about that. It's not like, I would say it's not that easy to stay pregnant. For me, we struggled a lot more to stay pregnant than to get pregnant. Yeah. I clearly struggled with both, <laughs> but I mean, I think it's something that like, we don't learn that in sex ed or whatever it's called now. And I think it's just like something that's real and, you know, but you have these two beautiful children I do. and yeah. And I, I love that because you've actually incorporated an experience that you've had with your child into your jewelry business. I have. Tell us more. Um. So my pregnancy with my daughter was pretty easy and pretty blissful. Um, my pregnancy with my son, not as much. Uh, probably also because I had a two-year-old at home already. <laughs> three, uh, almost three-year-old. Um, when I was 19 weeks pregnant with my son, didn't know I was having a boy at the time, um, I went for my, what they call your detailed scan. Um, so it's when they do all the measurements of the fetus through ultrasound. And I have never enjoyed ultrasounds, as we've just discussed here. I, I usually get a lot of bad news after them. So I kind of just sit there staring at the ceiling tiles, counting holes in the ceiling or cracks in the tiles or something. But um, anyways, I did get a phone call about a week later from my midwife um, saying that my son was going to be born with a congenital birth defect. Um, the scientific name, which just came out as a blur while I was on the phone with her, is congenital, uh, was it congenital talipes equinovarus, uh, commonly known as clubfoot. So my son, yeah, he was diagnosed in the womb and was born with bilateral clubfoot. I didn't even really know what it was. <laughs> Um, at the time, a lot of people have the misnotion. It's a terrible name, clubfoot. They think that it's, you know, a foot without any toes or fingers because of club shape, but it's actually a golf club. So the feet are usually pointed down and turned inwards. Um, it is quite treatable, um, but it does require treatment. And yeah, I met a lot of amazing other mums um, because I sought out support groups when I found out. Um, for me, pregnancy hormones and hearing this did not go well together. Um, there was a lot of tears, a lot of uncertainty. Um, I tend to be a bit of a worrywart and have a bad habit of worrying about things that haven't happened yet. Um, and they always tell you, they have to tell you the worst case scenarios just so you are prepared for them. Um, anyways, my little boy, a uh, beautiful boy was born with the bilateral club feet, meaning both feet had it. Um, and it was what they call idiopathic. So not related to any other, um, it wasn't an underlying condition of anything more serious. It was just on its own. Um, I met some amazing, amazing moms who, you know, one of them talked to me on the phone for 45 minutes, one I would text back and forth with um, and just offered support to each other. And I try to do that now for other moms, but, one of the other things is in British Columbia, our provincial medical care 
does not cover it covers the casting phase and the surgery, but it does not ca uh, cover the corrective phase. So they, I guess just to go backwards a little bit for treatment, um, they generally do serial casting, slowly manipulating and moving the position of the foot. Someone said it's kind of similar to braces. They're slowly changing the position. Um, a lot of kids about, I think around 95% get what's called a tenotomy where they release the Achilles tendon so it's a small outpatient surgery. Um, and then after that, they have a cast on for three weeks um, while the Achilles grows back. Um, and then they are put in an ankle foot orthoses, also called a boots and bar. And it is two kind of boots with a bar in between them that hold the feet usually at about a 60 to 70 degree angle outwards because they kind of overcorrect it knowing that the feet are gonna wanna turn back in a bit. Um, and that part, those boots and bars, I think if you purchase them through an orthotest, it will cost you about $900 for your first set. Um, so a lot of moms have kind of created exchanges. So I met a mom who was from the Yukon and I had sent her my old boots and bars as well as um, some clothing. Another mom and I put together a gift package and sent it to her. And she has now created what is called the Canadian Clubfoot Support Society. And she is also a maker. She makes clothing as well. And we just started chatting and I said, you know, I think I'd really like to make a necklace. And I'd like to make it as a fundraiser for your society. So that's what I did. <laughs> um, I made what I called the Clubfoot Strong Necklace or the Clubfoot Heart. And it's a little silver pendant with two little curly feet inside of a heart. Um, Cause I thought it'd be a great conversation piece. It's subtle enough that it just looks like a little heart. Lots of moms have like little footprints and thumbprints and little baby keepsakes. But you know, any Clubfoot mom is gonna recognize those little curly feet. <laughs> and it's just, again, I think it's an important thing to get the conversation going, um, you know, our kids, they're very easily corrected for the most part by the time they start school. Many of them don't wear boots and bars anymore. It's something that they wear at night. Um, and if they do, they're usually fairly small little kind of covers that go on inside of their shoes. There's these, um, call them AFOs. Um, and they, yeah, it's not as visible. Whereas something like, I believe cleft palate is the other most common congenital birth defect. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was a good conversation piece. Um, you know, we're very lucky that part of it, the procedure is covered by medical costs here in Canada. Um, some provinces have it fully covered. Um, I was a bit shocked and appalled to find out that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So pro is it 100% of the proceeds of that necklace go? Exactly. So it's I made it as a not-for-profit piece. Um, I donated actually about five of each design um, to the Canadian Clubfoot Society. So they are selling them directly from their online store where they sell a bunch of merchandise um, that they sell as a fundraiser for their society. And I also sell them online on my own store and will donate all profits to them. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, until I met you, I, I'd never heard of Clubfoot. And, <laughs> you know, I think it just takes these conversations to educate and be more aware of that. Um, you know, the fact that 
I mean, depends on where like our listeners are around the world. So every community or province or state or country might have different ways of navigating the system with what's covered and what's not. But, you know, if this is something that resonates with you or you're, you know, you know, a mom who's child has club foot um, or your child does, you know, and you, you want that extra support. I'm sure Rosie would be great, you know, gracious enough to share her experience because, you know, I, it's again about talking about these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I was so grateful to have the moms that reached out to me. Yeah. And, you know, when people said one day you're going to look back and think it's not a big deal. I thought they were just kind of like just saying that to pacify me and they didn't really believe it or mean it. And now I'm like, you know, if all goes well, which we're still not completely in the clear for him, there's still a possibility of future surgeries. But I mean, there's also the possibility there might not be. Right. And really, I just kind of, you know, I was putting on his boots last night as we went to bed and some nights there's a big fight. Some nights it's really easy, but it has just become part of our routine. It's not... It's not as big and as bad and as scary as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. So as we, you know, first of all, you guys listening want to support the cause and Rosie, her jewelry is beautiful. Go to her website. Um, The link is in the bio in the show notes, not in the bio, but in the show notes. And um, you can even go and purchase a piece of jewelry to support Clubfoot. So as we wrap up, Rosie, I would love for you to maybe share advice to mothers out there who are learning that their child might have clubfoot or, you know, it can, what'd you say it was called a congenital? Congenital birth defect. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice do you have for those mothers out there who are in this pregnancy stage and learning this information? Um, just you're not alone. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing is you know, what is it as common as one in every 1750 live births? Um, I think as they say between one and 1000, one and 750. Um, And you know what, most of the moms and dads um, and kids I've met who have gone through this, they're more than happy to share those experiences and to offer support. And there is groups, whether it's emotional support, financial support, there's help available and just know that you're not alone and know that you will get through this and you can get through this. That's beautiful. That's such beautiful advice. Rosie, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast to share your story of, you know, um, loss and your journey with your children. And I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability, vulnerability. So that's a tongue twister vulnerability. (laughs) So thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in for another episode of radical resilience. Remember you are not alone. It's okay to not be okay. You're going to get through it. And it's okay if you're sad and it's okay if it's a struggle, you know that you have support in us and there is support out there for you. You are resilient. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.